Hello there. You are listening to the Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. We are taping on the night of 420, Josh. 420. So did you blaze one up before the episode? No, I was it was tempted, but I'm staying sober for for this for this recording just due to the fact that Matt fucking bailed on us (laughs) (laughs) because it's because well that's a that's a good little teaser right there i was gonna do it but this is just a josh and john special first time in a while since we did that episode with the two big star albums in the jam right josh yep exactly i was thinking about that earlier today and how you know Every time Matt miss, misses an episode, we listen to some good albums. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So we, yeah, we did that one. That was about midway through season two, if you're looking for it. We did Big Star, Number One Record, and Radio City. And we did the Jam All Mod Cons. Uh, that was that episode as a bonus episode. We also, I believe, um, had some planned things where uh, Matt was on vacation one week and you were on one week. So we did do one ourselves, right, um, outside of that. There was a couple albums here and there. I, I seem to remember that there was uh, a couple albums you didn't love on that episode. We had some special guests, I believe, as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, I do not. Was that in the 70s? I don't remember. That was in the <laughs> 70s. Yeah, that was like I, I know we did. I believe you picked a, um, a Carly Simon album. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, way back in the day. Mm-hmm. So that's just the fact that Josh can't even remember this <laughs> and he's not high should show how long ago that was. But if you want to really check in the archives, Josh and I did do a couple together, one with special guests and um, one just by ourselves. That's right. We talked about the UFOs, right? And UFO, yep. And uh, in the- maybe, what was that other band? I can't remember. I but believe, yeah. so we had we had Steve on for UFO. I believe uh, for Jeff, we had a, did we do no, a foul? We did, we did, we did Noi. That's right. We did Noi on that yeah. one. You picked Carly Simon. I think, did I pick Bob Seeger with you or was that with Matt? I think that was with Matt. That was with Matt. Okay. I definitely picked one as well. I can't remember. Did we, um, did we do, I remember with Sam, we did sort of a, a band there from Ohio. Um, and I'm trying to... Re- Blue Ash. Yes, there you go. That was it. We, we Blue- put it together. <laughs> wow. Look at that. So I don't know. We've already probably lost half of the viewing list. But anyway, that's a long way of saying that Josh and I enjoy doing these teasers and, you know, Matt can go kick rocks, you know, whatever. What did he text us? He said like a baseball game or something. Yeah, it looked like some sort of Little League game or something. I don't know. Well, I'm the Cal Ripken of this damn <laughs> podcast, guys. I've never missed an episode. So... Um, I was going to say the Lou Gehrig, but I, I want the Cal Ripken narrative a little bit more because RIP, yeah. rest in peace, Lou. But uh, um, yeah, so for those that are listening, maybe international, Cal Ripken has the consecutive game streak in baseball. So I'm trying to go Iron Man on our podcast episodes. So No PEDs um, either from what we, what we can tell. Well, exactly. And, and, un, and unlike Matt, I take my vacations after I tape the damn show. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting ready uh, for later this week. But uh, what we decided to do this week, um, Josh and I were faced with this dilemma of taping this show about two days ago. And uh, we were, most people had heard us tease that we were going to do an album this week. We were going to do, or we were going to do, a, excuse me, an episode this week where we we're going to do Judas Priest. British Steel was going to be the album that I was going to cover. Uh, Josh, I guess, bumper your own album. Uh, Den, uh, Dead Kennedys. Um, yep. Uh, fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, right? Correct, I believe yes. is... Thanks for is, pulling that out. <laughs> no problem. And, uh, and then uh, the third album that we were going to cover was Matt. Now, do you remember? Because it, it felt like ages he's, ago, Josh, yes, where we did he's that. He's covering yep. Joy Division's Closer. 
Yep, he's doing Joy Division closer, so we're going to see if Josh likes that. But anyway, what we decided to do, because um, we didn't want to do it as like a true cold list and hot take, because we just did not have time to do the six normal albums. No. Um, and so what we did was we decided to uh, take a look at the, or I, I decided to take a look at the Pitchfork top 200 albums of the 80s. So I was sort of scanning around for albums that weren't scheduled to be in the regular episodes or in cold list and hot takes, but in that time, I did come across, there were some albums from groups that we covered in the 70s uh, that we enjoyed or, or stood out, and uh, I think what we did was I just decided to, to run it back with some of these groups who we weren't going to be covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to do four albums uh, this week from artists that we actually already covered, in some cases in multiple occasions, um, in the 70s. So here's what we're going to do, Josh. And we, we're doing this kind of on the fly, so we haven't had time to talk about this. So we're, we're going to kind of do like a little spontaneous game. You ready, Josh? <laughs> okay. I'm going to have you bumper an album, and then we are going to tell the album that we covered before in the 70s. Okay? okay. Got it. So segment one, Josh, what are we going to be covering? We're covering the Raincoats Out of Shape from 1981. Out of Shape from 1981, the only album that we're covering tonight that is not from 1980, by the mm-hmm. way. We did try to stay in the beginning. This is from 81, and uh, we did cover the Raincoats debut album, self-titled, in our 70s archive, so you can check that out if you're interested. Segment two, what are we covering, Josh? Um, Elvis Costello's Get Happy. From 1980, and we did cover Elvis Costello himself with My Aim is True, and then Elvis Costello and The Attractions, who is who we're covering tonight technically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, this year's model uh, we covered in the 70s. So yep. there are two separate episodes, um, one full bio episode and one cold listen hot take that do cover Elvis Costello. And amazingly, he put out an album in between this one and the, yeah. and the last one we talked about. <laughs> exactly. So, which we have not listened to. So, right. we apologize for those that are looking for Elvis Costello's third album. We are going to jump right to number four. Okay. Uh, number three. Yep. We're returning to Gang of Four. Solid Gold is the name of the album. And we did do a full bio uh, show on entertainment, exclamation point, by yep. Gang of Four. Also making my top ten of the of the decade there so the bar is high for yep. for josh from from uh Elvis his Costello first too is actually on that list I should uh, add. there you go so there's there's some some deep ones and i know the fourth act was i believe on matt was it on yours or matt's top 10 list it was also on mine for it was also on cold yours. listens yes mm-hmm. okay and go ahead and bumper that last one b52's wild planet and there you go. And we did cover the B-52s debut album, mm-hmm. uh, self-titled B-52s from 1979 as well. So four returners, you can feel free if you're a CTS completist. You may have already listened to those shows, but if you didn't, uh, they all were relatively recently. Um, they were at the yeah. end of the 70s. That, so, that helped, actually. <laughs> it was, uh, I did want to kind of keep the theme. You know, we are in the 80s in the regular episodes and the cold list and hot takes because, you know, we just freaking start at the 80s. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I... I feel like a sort of like giving bonus content on the second episode of the season. Trust me, we are not cheating. This was not the plan. We did have it more structured, but you know, sometimes you got to zig when life zags, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, and speaking of zigging and zagging, uh, Josh and I have been constructing this album all together. So no segments. It's just going to be pure reaction. I think what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce the album and Josh will give take number one and I'll give take number two and then we'll expand on that. Does that work, Josh? Sounds good. We will, I don't believe, we don't have Matt here, so we're not going to run the numbers, especially because these are from uh, the, these are albums that were not in the Rolling Stone 
list, not on best ever albums, top 100. Um, and I did not check cross-reference them with the top 1,001 albums. Uh, I did pick these from the top 200 albums uh, from Pitchfork. Of I, can, I can pull it up, though, John, if you want. You want to pull it up? To, okay. Yeah. So Might we'll do well. that. We're completists. And, and, and what we're going to do, too, is we're, I'm going to basically pick the song <laughs> that we're going to have in oh, the right. lead-in right now, and then Josh is going to, in post-edit, play said song. Does that sound good? It, sounds, it will be in the montage. No, no intro songs for these segments. If you'll no intro but. songs at all. So, well, I am going to start with the raincoats, and Josh is going to run the numbers in a second, but what you're going to listen to right now is a snippet from Only Loved at Night. And there you go. That was track number three on the nine-song album Out of Shape from the Raincoats. Josh, why don't you run the numbers for us? It is uh, 646 in the top albums of the 80s, according to besteveralbums.com. It is the... Oh, where do I... See, this is why I don't do the numbers. It is uh, the 4,263rd best album of all time. And... Where does it say their best it, in their rankings? Oh, it's their second best out of six albums. Oh, there you go. You yes. you were able to figure it all out together right there. <laughs> so you did. And by the time we do the other albums, you're going to sound like Matt on that yes, one. Yes, I'll so. know where to go now. So there you go. So this is considered the the second uh, highest rated album by yes. them, and it's their second album. And be, yeah, behind their debut is their is their considered their best. So we're going to cover both. So that's yep. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we didn't do uh, we didn't do a bio on the raincoat, so I'm going to really quickly sketch out a little bit of a bio. I apologize for the um, thrown together nature of it, but just to give a little bit of context here, uh, feel that we're doing it right there. So, the raincoats have a really interesting story because they were formed in 1977. Uh, they were formed by Gina Birch and Anne De Silva. Uh, they were both uh, students at the art. Uh, the uh, Hornsey School of Art in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of they were, the story seems to be that they were really inspired by punk music at the time that was coming, obviously in 1977 yeah. um, in Great Britain. There was no shortage of punk bands. I feel like we covered a ton of them, <laughs> you know, over the time. Uh, I think what's very interesting though about them, Josh, is that instead of kind of going the direction of like the damned and the clash and, you know, a lot of these male oriented bands right. and even sort of like x-ray specs right or mm-hmm. Susie and the banshees and you know we haven't done yet but sort of covered there they kind of went in a different direction uh they kind of were like punk meets avant-garde a little bit would you say based on this album certainly right one <laughs> i this album i would say well i it's described on all music i i did write a note down that it said uh they had little interest in the speed or velocity of the Sex Pistols and the Clash, instead embracing a more open and dynamic approach with chaotic arrangements. And they weren't trained musicians, too, which I should say, they, wow. which is an interesting, 
dynamic as well. Yeah, so for those that are wondering, De Silva played the guitar and sang, and Birch played the bass and sang. And then they were joined by um, Ross Creighton on guitar and Nick Turner on drums. But they were gone shortly afterwards, and the band became an all-female lineup. Oh, um, yeah, and so that was the, the lineup that played um, on... Uh, the first album. Mm-hmm. Now, by the time this one comes around, uh, and if you remember, they um, they uh, they have a, like a little bit of an overlap with um, the Slits because they took uh, Palmolive from the Slits, right? And yep. we covered and them in the same episode, actually. You got it, and and yeah. pa- exactly, and Palmolive was on the drums, but she's actually gone, and they actually didn't replace her on this album. They just brought in sort of guest drummers um that in, that included uh chris Hay- or charles hayward of this heat and robert wyatt so two oh, people wow. we covered yeah, <laughs> yeah robert wyatt with rock bottom we covered and then we did cover this heat this heat right. so it's there so they don't really have a formal uh percussionist on this album and also they added um ingrid vice as well who was theoretically a percussionist um uh and yeah, so it's kind of a, an interesting mix, but I think the the most interesting thing is, you know, uh, Birch and De Silva kind of had like a tumultuous relationship and they broke up in uh, 1984. Mm-hmm. And I think the most crazy thing is in 1992, um, De Silva's working in an antique shop in London. And at the same time, Kurt Cobain's in London, uh, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, for those that somehow may not know that and he was a huge raincoats fan um in fact he if you ever uh i had the album insecticide and he actually expounds on his love of the raincoats in that album um oh, but like anyway in a song or in the liner like in notes? no in the liner notes oh wow nice yeah and so that's how i i knew of who the raincoats were before i actually had heard the first album so that's mm-hmm. why it was kind of like putting together a puzzle like oh i know of this band but i don't know what they sound like so anyway um, Kirk Cobain's looking to to replace his copy of the Raincoats album, and he goes to the Rough Trade retail shop, and they say, "Hey, you know, by the way, you know, a member of the band works nearby," <laughs> and Kirk Cobain just shows up at the antique shop that she's working at, and you know, one thing leads to another, and he actually um, uh, gets them to op- like reunite and open for Nirvana. Oh wow! Um, he he and Kim Gordon of uh, Sonic Youth, another fan. And they also, this leads to them basically reissuing the, the Raincoast three studio albums. And obviously that was not a money-making thing yeah. <laughs> by DGC records, right? Um, it was mainly, I think a way to appease Cobain, but also it shows the level of um, like love uh, for them. And, you know, they even end up recording their own EP on um, Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth's um, Smells Like Records. So, and that actually leads, it's called Extended Play, that actually leads to a full-length album in 1996, Looking in the Shadows. So they kind of have this um, this second career, kind of, yeah. out of the clear blue, like, happenstance. Right. So that's a little bit of, you know, how the raincoats come to prominence. Um, that's that's enough bio, I think, right now. Why yeah. don't you start, Josh? Tell me what your thoughts were on this, uh, initial thoughts. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed by this album. I really liked it. Now, I, re- I seem to recall being kind of lukewarm on their initial album, especially compared mm-hmm. to the Slits. I think I liked that album more. They were, they're not exactly the same type of band, but I think because they're in that kind of post-punk 
in the same era, both female fronted that they were, they were good to compare against, um, in the show. But this seems like a, a big, um, step up or ex- expansion of their sound. It really does not sound anything like their first album. And, um, while it still maintains kind of their interesting, like vocal delivery, they really seem to, um, take it's I don't I don't know for sure but it seems like they took a lot from like world music or like different genres of music and really incorporated it into their sound I would say that yep Mm -hmm. yeah there seems to be like a hundred different instruments on this album yes and bizarre (laughs) and 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 I'll go into that on my thing but yes not just the standard it sounds just come at you from all angles yeah yeah and it really um it really has a a vibe to it that I would describe as, I don't know, like the ocean or something, or like swaying trees. It, it really has mm. an, ebb, an ebb and flow to it. Um, the oh, wow. Song, okay. The songs, that's the vibe I got. The songs seem to to speed up and then slow down off many times throughout the same song, and that kind of carries throughout the whole album, in my opinion. Um, it also, but not in like a it's not doing it in a jarring way. It's very kind of rhythmic and, and gentle at times too. So, but saying that it's really um, complicated, this album, but in a very intriguing way and, and worth uh, multiple listens. In my opinion, there is oftentimes I should also mention that there is a violin that they incorporate into this album. Uh, is one of the prominent instruments and yep that is uh vicky aspinall who okay. was actually hired as a violinist for the band one of the the females that made the band full female mm. from the male does they replaced the males with a new drummer and then a violinist in place of the old person or the uh old male who i think was playing another guitar if i remember correctly gotcha. and that violin is used all different ways it's very like scratchy and aggressive at times it's sometimes it's uh, more complimentary and uh, folksy and then they they just really incorporate it like all the instruments in very um, different ways and in ways you don't expect the um, this album sounds like influential in a way a lot of indie bands later on would sound um in my mind like i'm talking like 2000 2010 band that incorporate um world music and kind of interesting vocal traditions was there any band that like was a direct corollary for you or more of just a amalgamation so so my wife emily listens to this um artist laura Moval, who is okay i think she's british um and that really kind of came to the fore it's she's a solo artist but she uses a lot of like uh, i'd say like afro beat sounds or kind of incorporates them into her music and that kind of sprang to mind when i was listening to this um but it's a good question because i couldn't think of other examples but it, it does feel like there's something here that people took uh, artists took to their um to their music the um this was really kind of like the sweet spot for me in terms of avant-garde artistic type of music it it didn't push the envelope too far in the terms in terms of you know some of those more out there artists that we talked about 
like um, you know the the residents <laughs> or or Public Image mm-hmm. Limited or Throbbing Gristle, any of those kind of later, even this heat. This this is still kind of like rhythmic um, music that you can listen to and and grasp onto, and there's a lot that you can uh, kind of uncover while listening to this album. So I don't know if I did a good job musically explaining it, but it really did. Um, it was an enjoyable listen, and the um, and, and maybe something maybe something in your thing will will uh, your review will spring. Uh, additional thoughts from me but yeah well i I think it's hard to describe the sound of this because it's um it's like a cacophony of sounds would be the best way i'd describe Mm -hmm. it but it's um when i say that there's not one mood altogether it's very tender at times Mm -hmm. it's very chaotic at times i um i was trying to think of a word to describe it and then in just doing the research you know for the little bit of a bio i heard the album described as jittery which I thought was a great word for it at times because yeah. that is a little bit of the vibe that that I felt at, at different times. Um, the first thing that stands out to me about this album is that really only half the tracks have percussion. Um, and in the place of the percussion, you've got things like the violin and a lot of like like African instruments would be the best way I'd d- describe it. Like I was looking at the... Um, the list of of instruments played. And it seems like what happened was they sort of just grabbed instruments and just said, hey, you know, the punk DIY ethos, let's just try to play it and see what we can do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a result, I think how they played it probably isn't by the book (laughs) of how it's supposed to sound (laughs) sometimes, but it kind of works at times. But uh, but to give you an idea, the African balaphone is on this, the the bowed bass is on net, the uh, ba- uh balalaika um okay. there's hand drums there's finger cymbals there's harmonica you know along with the non-traditional instruments they had before like the violin and there's piano it's a it's a mishmash of everything and so i i enjoyed this it is very different than the first album the first yeah. album i'd kind of say was like taking the blueprint of what the slits did and making it kind of avant-garde in the way that people you know, not as harsh, but sort of like what Public Image Limited or Throbbing mm-hmm. Gristle did, right? You know, some of the elements of that, it was like a mix, right? And it it, it existed in that post-punk landscape, but it was challenging. Um, this seems a little, at some points it seems more polished, and it's sometimes it seems like, um, like, let's play these sounds and see what they sound like together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it, but it almost as like an atmosphere, would be the yes. best way I'd describe. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I I would say, like, to add on to that though, that they do kind of the instruments do kind of work well together. It's not this sort of chaos in terms of I can't track what's going on. They they've constructed it in such a way that it they do kind of meld together in a way that works um, for me. Yeah, I I would agree. And there's some um, there's like you know there's elements of reggae. In this album, or even like dub reggae, Um, I put some notes down like... um, Dancing in my head. Like dancing in my head for sure, like has that element in it. Um, And, you know, there's there's things like European Sun and Black Angel's Death Song that are more, as I described, atmospheric. And then like um, The Void is... is, um, uh, Like that was... I'm trying to remember. The Void was like... Was that on the first album? 
Uh, I was trying to think back to like, mm. like different different points, but there were some songs that were chaotic yeah. as well. Like the like uh, Red Shoes, right? Was a little bit more chaotic. That uh, last song, Go Away, was Go Away the was most chaotic. Was, I would think. exactly, yeah. And I think that's that's why I think I'm thinking, and that's why for some reason I was thinking of that that um that song the void and i'm trying to remember if that was on the first album i apologize it just it kept coming to the mind for me um is the void on the first album i'm looking right now as we go yeah Yeah. but um yeah it is it's song number seven on the first and i remember writing a note on it and the void is very similar to like uh it's similar in terms of the chaoticness right Mm -hmm. of uh the last track but I really enjoyed the album for challenging me. Now, does it have a ton of replayability for me? It does in the sense that I want to peel back more of the layers to hear what's going on because yeah. it's that it's that oxymoron of simple complex. Like on one hand, it's simple, but you can peel away the layers and you know there's complexity to it. But I don't know if the complexity comes from studio tricks or, you know, real new like prog rock, you know, type stuff where they're bundling. I think it's more because they were sort of just playing around with stuff and seeing mm-hmm. how sounds worked and, you know, kind of going from a DIY perspective. It, uh, like, the the new nuances are going to come from hearing things from a different angle or an unexpected angle to where you, you would expect the track to go. And so in that sense, it's kind of, it's kind of avant-garde. Uh, but in a different way, less less planned or um, cunning, and more just sort of raw. And I guess yeah. that's where the punk comes in, right? Yeah, and they they, you know, along with all these instruments, like you said, you hear kind of some reggae at times. I heard some Indian, probably influenced mm-hmm. Eastern type of sounds, and only love that night. I heard in Red Shoes, the violin is played in such a way that reminds me of like almost like a folksy Americana, Old West Appalachian music or something like that. Um, and then you have, sometimes you do have the kind of the chaos and and almost like chanting in their vocals or just kind of... Or that like yeah. percussion does show up, but then there's no percussion yes, in another off. song. It's yeah. very odd. To, to, mm-hmm. It's very odd to have an album that's strong percussion in some songs and none or by proxy percussion. Right. Um, from another instrument instead of a traditional set of drums. Yeah, you're not going to get any, like you said, you're not going to get any like pop hit single off of this. It's it's more no. of a, it's definitely an album that is to be taken as a whole and, and parsed out later. Well, and there's, there's not really a, um, like a coherent sound, even like some of the avant-garde stuff is easier to describe. This is one of the harder albums I've found to describe. To so I, I would encourage those folks that are intrigued to go listen to this album because I would put it in the top 1% of albums that are hard to boil down into sonically. It sounds like this because it, yeah. it shifts shapes, uh, but also it shifts shapes in a way that there aren't hallmarks <laughs> like of the sound, you know, like, you know, when we talk about the experimental, you know, Krautrock, for example, there's yeah. the, the motoric beat and stuff like that. There's just motifs that we can pick, right? This mm-hmm. sort of is more, um, they're, they're playing with motifs. And I didn't even, I mean, we spent so much time trying to talk about the instrumentation stuff. I didn't even really pay attention to the lyrics. Um, they kind of, 
the music kind of overpowered them in my mind. Um, it's sort of like, um, I would say when I was looking at the lyrics, it's a lot of feminist themes, mm-hmm. right? A feminist in sort of like the punk rock feminist way, though, like, um, you know, strong female presence, but also an independent spirit, you know, and, and just d- different themes like like that. But I wouldn't say that I saw an overarching um yeah theme and 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 if there is and folks are more aware of it I'd love to hear from them because I um it didn't it didn't stand out to me when I read the lyrics uh but you could definitely tell there is a feminine energy in this yep. album because it gets very delicate at times yeah that's true what do you what do you think um attracts Kurt Cobain to this band well I think ev- basically whenever you hear about Kurt Cobain they always talk about how he had I guess what would be considered to be a very sensitive or almost female centric side. Like he, Mm. a lot of the major people in his life were women, strong women, right. Mm. In different ways. I mean, Courtney Love was a strong woman. His mother largely raised him. Um, He had a sister who he loved, you know, so a a Mm. lot of, and you know, he's often referred to, right. As like a, as a feminist, you know, especially in the lens of now, right? He, yeah. he kind of ra- raged against like toxic masculinity before anybody would call it toxic masculinity. It was just sort of like, right. I think back then, I guess they called it like jock culture or something, you know, mm-hmm. or that was the, the vernacular. But I think that's it. There's a vulnerability in terms of both the sounds and certainly the lyrics in the first Raincoats album that I can totally get when you sort of are battling depression and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And sonically, um, you know, there is a little, you know, the Nirvana famously had that Pixies, you know, loud, soft mix. And there is a little bit of that sonically in in this as well, mm-hmm. when you think about it. But I think that probably, you know, sort of relating to that, that energy, I think, is probably what yeah. drew him to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something I will take with me once we get to Nirvana in terms of me not knowing really kind of their influences and and seeing how this fits in uh, right well it's i mean famously nirvana's influences were like you know uh, you know pixies the meat puppets um you know and then of course there's the weird ones too like kurt cobain like loved kiss right it's like that's weird (laughs) but like i think back then right if you didn't live on the coast right and he washington like Everybody sort of liked the loud. So, you know, he's he's a mix. He was it was nice enough to leave like a list of his favorite albums in his journal, which they had in Montage Effect. So actually, you can kind of get a thumbnail sketch as to what young Kurt Cobain was listening to. But yeah, the raincoats were heavily Hmm. represented in that. So I feel like it's a cottage industry to say that, like, Kurt Cobain loved this. (laughs) I feel like he comes up a lot. You know what I mean? Oh, did you know Kurt Cobain loved this band? But yeah. Well, he definitely loved this band, right? Because oh no, they're, they're uh, like uh, I mean, a, a level above, yeah. a level above. Yeah, if For he sure. if he covered you on um, if he covered you on Nirvana, you know, unplugged, right? Like Lead Belly or mm-hmm. you know the Meat Puppets or Bowie, right? He loved you at one level, and then if you were in his diary there, and then of course if he wrote about you in the liner notes. Yeah. Right, and then if oh, if he had you, you open for him too, because that was another right. thing, like Sonic, Sonic Youth, and you know the raincoats. He did yeah, that was the other thing, so you could kind of yeah. see the influences there. So yeah, and and my final note is that you know the album's title is Odyssey Shape, and it's spelled mm-hmm. O D Y Shape. So I, I really think there is the Odyssey in this, in a journey. It is a journey going through this album. 
Well, and I know that there was the, that song seems to be about like almost like bio, uh, body dysmorphia sort mm. of, and I oh, wonder okay. if that's a little bit of of the theme as well. Uh, I look at the the um, the cover art, yes, right, yep. which is sort of like a shapeless figure mm-hmm. that seems like it could be female, but also could be male. I'd yep. say, would you say like it's sort of like it a is genderless, very, like, nondescript, yep, nondescript, mm-hmm. genderless. Um, there's a head. Uh, it's also like the coloring of it sort of like very much leads you to like, you know, absence of color a little mm. bit with a with a white, you know, cloth. So I thought that was very interesting with the color pastiche behind it. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe that's a little bit of what's going on there. But yeah, definitely the song Oddest Shape seems to be about like body dysmorphia. So maybe like, a, you know, um like literally I, I, an odd shape. Literally <laughs> an like, odd shape is what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, and and me and that's kind of what the the sound of the album is like. It's an odd shaped sound, right? So yep. that's kind of how I took it a little bit. So yeah, I would recommend this one. Uh, I I connected with this album a little more than I did with the um, the debut. If I'm going to be very mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, same. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, two rev- uh, two pluses right there. For the Raincoats album. All right, so Josh, why don't you go ahead and run the numbers for us? Okay, Get Happy with with two exclamation points, I should add, is uh, rated 136 in top albums of the 1980s. It is the 898th album in the top 1,000 albums of all time, and it is their second best album out of 12 albums. Uh, and this does not include the, the solo uh, considered Elvis Costello, so their highest rated one is Imperial Bedroom, um, which we have. Imperial to. Bedroom, that's a yeah. pretty awesome name for an album, isn't it? Imperial <laughs> yeah. Bedroom. So yeah. well, let me see. Is when your... that, that came out in '82, so I guess it's up to okay. if we decide to go that way. So he's definitely front loaded. Yes, I would okay. say so. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So is your bedroom an Imperial Bedroom? Well. No, I would say not. No. <laughs> no. Uh, wah, wah. I feel like I, right there. So um, I gave Josh the ability to pick the song that we're going to start with, and he is going to pick the song Opportunity for you to hear right now. So you just got the opportunity to hear opportunity track number two of get happy, which was, uh, it's funny. Get happy was a long album by tracks, right? Yes, it was a 20. 20 track album, but it was not a long album by length for a 20 track album would be how I'd describe it. Yeah. A lot so, of songs are around the two, two and a half minute mark Two, two and a half yeah. minute. Yeah. Unlike the first album we covered the raincoats out shape, uh, which had, Songs from two and a half minutes to five. This mm-hmm. one's pretty straight ahead. So um, I will intersperse pieces of the of the bio for this album in, as opposed to giving a full one, because we have done an Elvis Costello bio. Uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and give me? Did did get happy? Get you happy? Um, it did. I feel like uh, Elvis Costello is 
pretty consistent in this early period, for, you know, based on the albums that I've heard. And this is a return to form um, in terms of his catchy song stylings, his witty lyrics, his incorporation of the organ into his... I feel like the organ is kind of his instrument in his sound, you know, compared to other artists around this time. Um, that, that would be one of the things I would use to describe him. Um, but there is definitely um, an, a kind of an R&B soul feel to this album that I got in kind of honor or homage to, I would say, like Motown and, and some of those other early artists. Would you agree on that front? Um, yes, to a degree. I'll yeah. probably expand on that a little bit in okay. some of the biographical gotcha. like, info. Yep. So, so there's that, but then he's still kind of based in this rock um, sensibility with the guitar at the front and center. And um, the, I don't know, the fun, the fun spirit that he has in the albums. He is, um, I feel like 20 songs is kind of a lot, uh, even though they're short, they kind of started to um, run together, especially towards the back end. But I feel like the album as a whole really kind of builds um, slowly. And then there's a real sweet spot in the middle for me with um, with New Amsterdam, High Fidelity, Can't Stand Up for Falling Down, um, th- those three tracks. And then I would say towards the back end, I, I kind of lost the thread a little bit. And I don't know if that's because it's just him singing all the time. There's not really a lot of backing singers. Um, but he's, he's, I guess ultimately he's like a really solid artist. And if you're like on his wavelength, you're really going to like him. I'm not sure, you know, he does have some really strong, catchy hits. Um, and I would say there's a few on here. Um, like Opportunity, I like, I think the opening track, Love for Tender Strong, and and those ones that I said in the middle are also really strong. But um, I don't know. this. I guess my point is this would not be a good album to start somebody with an Elvis Costello in terms of introducing them. I, f- I feel like you kind of need to know who he is. Probably some of those earlier albums are better representation Um beginner Elvis Costello if you will as opposed to intermediate which I feel like this kind of is but um, overall I enjoyed this album it didn't it it wasn't different in the way that the raincoats odd shape was compared to their first album this is kind of more of a an extension of his sound and and more of a gradual uh, change or difference from the previous albums but yeah I enjoyed this album and um, I recommend it. Yeah, I loved this album. Oh. Uh, I loved it more than the first two, to be oh. quite honest. Okay. I felt I f- I hear what you're saying about twenty songs, yeah. and there are, but, but I actually found the consistency of this album, in my opinion, even a little bit stronger than the other two. Mm. Um, I um, I liked My Aim Is True a little bit more than I liked this year's uh, model. I know you guys were a little different than me on that one, yep. but I. This was just the sweet spot. There were so many good hooks on this. This also, without me even going into the bio, I was like, boy, this is like Elvis Costello doing like like Blue-Eyed Soul, right? Like Motown Blue-Eyed Soul. Yeah. And that's what I think is different about this. This is, you know, the first couple were more Elvis Costello dipping a little bit more into the 
you know, he's not punk, but like that punk scene, edgelord sort of scene a little bit more, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Singer songwriter, you know, male with a guitar. This sort of seemed to me like almost a love letter to like blue eyed soul artists. So uh, to me, there's a very different sound to this. Like, yes, Elvis Costello's voice is similar. So maybe if you're just, you know, linking in on what does Elvis Costello's mm -hmm. voice sound like, I guess it could be like how. You know, Bruce Springsteen always sounds like Bruce Springsteen, right? Yes. But like yeah. the river sounds different than Nebraska, sounds different than, you know, a Born to Run and The Rising, right? And I feel like this was the Blue Eyed Soul album for Elvis Costello. And thus, when I found out a little bit of the background to this, which was, I guess Elvis Costello got into a, he had a verbal faux pas, it's claimed here, where okay. he insulted Ray Charles in an attempt to get Stephen Stills' goat, is how it's described on all music. <laughs> I would be fascinated to see, like, what the context is for that. As a matter of fact, while I talk, I almost dare you, Josh, to pull up, like, Elvis Costello insults Ray Charles to figure out what's going on there. But I guess this album was sort of like his love letter to Soul and, oh, okay. and, and stuff, which totally makes sense to me because this sounds like... 50s and 60s rock and roll throughout, which I think is why I like it. There's just hooks all over. There's like ballads on this album, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just, I just really, Elvis Costello is such a good pop songwriter and song maker. And I love, I find he's very versatile. Um, I felt um, the first two albums we covered, this year's model and My Aim is True were different you know, versions of the singer-songwriter, but they sounded different. One had a little bit more, like, sort of reggae sky sound, whereas the other was a little bit more hard-on-my-sleeve, emotional love songs. And this one, like I said, is, is Blue-Eyed Soul. I just, I love the fact that he's able to twist around. And once again, the lyrics on this album are fantastic. Um, it's mostly love songs, but Elvis Costello writes love songs that, you know, aren't traditional love songs. Right. Right. And, yes. and which we talked about before, but that's why I love it. Like I stand accused at the end is exactly what you think it's about. Human touch. You know, it, it's kind of you get a, a vibe for what it's about, you know, that you know what the theme is. But then from there, it kind of just deviates into like how he sees it. Um, there's some there's great tracks. All the, I mean, I'm sure. The Imposter is where the Imposters, the band, got their name because there's a definite like Scottish feel to yes. The Imposter mm -hmm. for sure. Um, King Horse was another song that really stood out to me. Yes, as I a, like the chorus on that one. For sure. Yep, it's it's a big soaring chorus there. You you did mention that that area from Possession to High Fidelity. So you go Possession, Man, Men Called Uncle, Clown Time is Over, New Amsterdam, and High Fidelity. Um, mm -hmm. That's a rip roaring five song stretch right there and and because i liked king horse so much um it, it really became like a six song um right run for me but i i didn't really feel it it um fell off too much like there were songs like motel matches and i can't stand up for falling down that i loved and you know what secondary modern is such an elvis costello song because it's such an interesting way of describing something as secondary yes. modern yeah. mm -hmm. uh, observational i just i i always sort of love his take and his observations and he he's a romantic without being schmaltzy he's a cynic without being weighed down by cynicism um and he writes pop songs that are catchy but never are run of the mill and yeah. like those are all really really difficult things 
to not do, you know? And, um, you know, I, I don't know how long we're going to follow Elvis Costello on this run. You know, I, I, in fact, I don't know if we revisit him, but I would be interested to see if he can kind of keep this level of edge to him and how long he keeps it. Um, because back in the day, I remember when we were talking to Bob from Bend and Scoop and he, he mm-hmm. said his all time favorite artist was Elvis Costello because of oh, his wow. reinvention. And, um, I'm starting to see why, if you like pop songs, it'd also be interesting to hear what Matt thinks of this album. Yeah. Because, um, you know, blue eyed soul has been like a hit and miss for Matt at this point, but uh, I know he loves Elvis Costello and I know he loves well-constructed well, pop yes. songs he also famously does not listen to lyrics so <laughs> he does yes he does not which which i do think with if you're not listening to lyrics with elvis costello it, you do you do miss a little bit so yeah. maybe we can get him to listen to lyrics for this one but yeah this this is a strong recommendation for me i really enjoyed this album um i here's what i would say about too i liked it enough that i will revisit this album sometime mm-hmm. in the next year um yeah. especially when i'm in the right uh mindset and and i think get happy is um is a good title for this because it did not feel as um bittersweet um as the first two albums did this definitely felt a little bit more from a um i felt a little bit more optimism even when he was singing you know songs like the imposter and stuff they they kind of though weren't as um yeah there's definitely a a melancholy sometimes to some of these songs um Mm -hmm. actually and what you said about his, you know, what we're saying about his lyrics is, and, and in that song, Motel Matches, and this is like his, you know, talent for a turn of phrase. It, it says, like, giving you away, like, motel matches. Like, yes. such, <laughs> such a small thing, but, you know, it, it immediately, that's, like, very evocative. You can immediately Absolutely. know what motel matches look like and, like, giving them, you know, just using Well, them and that everybody like that. gets them, but you only get them when you stay at a motel. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like just, it's like, it's novel enough that you don't get them all the time, but also anybody could right. theoretically get them who pays the price. So yeah, that's, yep. that's a great point, Josh. And, and I think like half the album is like, get happy. And then half the album is get happy, you know? Oh, and that's, I think yeah. a little, that's how I read it a little bit. That forcing it. Yeah. <laughs> half of it's, it's depends on how you read, get happy. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and if you listen to songs, I think you can get that vibe but yeah strong recommend for me on this one i definitely love like this one and for me elvis costello is three for three so far yeah so reading this uh i pulled up yeah this tell story. me the story yeah I, i'm afraid to uh it seems we it seems we need crazy, context actually. we need context i need it josh give me it so he was at so he was at a bar in at a holiday inn in columbus ohio and Stevens. well what you doing josh chilling at the holiday inn of course <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> yeah chingy um and i guess he was drunk and then steven stills and friends walked in and then like straight up to the sex mansion he should have yeah. just gone to the sex mansion instead of talking he should and then he got so everyone got drunk and then so he <laughs> so elvis costello i guess as trying to get steven stills goat as they say or definitely prod him he was he called james brown the n-word and he called ray Ooh. charles also a blind ignorant n-word and Ooh, um god yeah and uh, then like a brawl started that got broken up and i Did guess steven stills like defend the, the honor <laughs> yes. of non-racists and great musicians yeah. everywhere okay and good for you steven stills and according to this article it kind of halted some of his rise to to popularity because it got out in the press and um 
at least well, especially when you're making a soul yeah. album <laughs> right and so i don't you know i don't know if this album is kind of a direct response to that or just kind of a coincidence but yeah that's uh that was kind of a not what i expected <laughs> pulling this out this article is from ultimate classic rock.com well so i love how it's I described as an unfortunate verbal faux pas in all music <laughs> it sounds like a little bit less of a unfortunate faux pas you know what i mean yes. and more of like a uh, problematic uh, drunken episode, right? Yes, he's, so, yeah. and he has gone on throughout the years to apologize over and over again and has commented on it lots of times. And um, uh, yeah, so he's, he does seem to have remorse on it. And um, how did yeah. he like get to like, like, was Steven still saying, like, I love James Brown and Ray Charles's music? And Elvis Costello was countering that. Yeah, I think that's the part we're never going to know in his lost history, like what kind of what the conversations were about and and all of that. But mm. um, I'm just trying to imagine Stephen Stills like starting a bar brawl with yes. Elvis Costello as well. That I also guess, is yeah. fascinating. Ray Charles did was asked to comment on this at one time and he said quote drunken talk isn't meant to be printed in the paper unquote so oh that's all a right. good well, diplomatic answer by ray charles well you know could you expect anything less from ray charles <laughs> yeah. he's like you know king of yep. cool right there so yeah so james brown on the other hand i would have liked to have seen him you know that would have been yes yeah. I, no no uh no uh explanation of as to if he commented on that or not but well elvis i still if 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 the result of that was this album, then this was well played mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully helped to assuage a little bit of uh, <laughs> that, but yeah, right. also, also maybe put down the sauce for a little bit. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. he may hopefully learned his lesson. Um, to that. That's the hope. Well, that would have been 43 years ago. So okay. leading up to this. So yeah, he was 24 at the time too. So we were all dumb in our twenties or a lot. Yeah, of but were. yeah, but let's be honest. We were dumb, but, I, didn't, I, I wasn't That's exactly true. dropping was... N-words. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes, thank you for correcting me. That's all right. I did want to put that out there, that Josh and I were not loosely using <laughs> racist language. I pride myself on not doing yes. that. So Agreed. Anyway, we went, off, we went off tangent there. I would recommend this album, albeit not drinking with 24-year-old Elvis Costello, it sounds like. so. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are halfway through of uh, what I call this shotgunned bonus episode of combing the stacks you know we're all about the content and keeping you in the loop and uh, in the spirit of that josh is gonna get to have round two with the <laughs> josh is gonna have <laughs> round two with a gang of four well that's a, that's a whole different podcast right there josh yes, anyway why don't you why don't you run the numbers for us hopefully it's less than five yes uh <laughs> solid gold by gang of four this is from 1981 and it is 577th on the top albums of the 80s um it is 67th in the top albums of 81 which i did not include in the previous stats and uh it is their second best album out of 12 with the first being entertainment which we talked about a few weeks ago maybe a month ago at this point right about there oh wow so they have 12 full albums that's what it says yep i did not remember that from um the bio we did all right so uh i am gonna get to pick it this time let's Mm -hmm. go ahead and i am gonna pick a couple that were interesting but i'm at choice cuts here they're they're so i'm gonna go with uh what we all want as the pick yep (laughs) 
Okay, so what we all want is to hear Josh's take on <laughs> solid gold from the Gang of Four. Man, this well, this was a solid gold record for for my for my ears. That's for sure. Um, you know, as I said, I was really high on their debut album. It was really unexpected, and I think we all appreciated it to one extent or another. And um, this one also seems like a step up for them mainly because they seem to have really <laughs> taken taken from funk and and soul and put some tasty uh bass lines throughout this album and oh for sure that's <laughs> the, the the rhythm section was all over this album <laughs> yes they really had a, a a groove on it to um to the extent that uh it, it was really shocking it was like merging their their first album with with kind of like funk and to some extent and it really reminded me i'd be surprised if the red hot chili peppers didn't respond to this or know of this album because oh, wow. there is there is things in i here did not with think the of bass them. Yeah. that reminded me and kind of their sound as as matt pointed out before in our review is very staccato that guitars are kind of stop start and all over the place and i feel you like know, that coupled with the bass lines really reminded me of some some red hot chili peppers you know what the rhythm section reminded me of is the talking heads mm, a lot okay. mm-hmm. yeah i didn't i didn't hear i didn't hear the drums as much the bass is like really what stood out for me f- from the first from the first uh track also in the second track what we all want which you said it really the start really sounded like a rage against the machine song yeah um you didn't hear the like there was a lot of like symbol like in the sound did you yeah okay gotcha yeah yep and uh but the yeah the percussion is different than i don't know i i I did hear the percussion on the first album that we talked about more i'd have to go back and listen to this again but um they are still you know despite incorporation of funk and and strong bass lines and you know, I really can't stress that enough. That was really kind of the hallmark to this album for me. They're still incorporating, they still maintain their sound. They still, their lyrics are still very um, political and, and socially conscious and punchy mm-hmm. and clever. Satirical, I yes. would say. Yes, um, especially on songs like Hole in Cheeseburger. the Wallet. Cheeseburger. <laughs> Is that the first time we've heard spoken dialogue to open a song too? Like, I think so. Like well, maybe not. Or something. Maybe not first, but definitely, you know, maybe some Doors albums. I think might have oh, spoken yeah, word yeah. in there. Yeah, but uh, not many. Yeah. And um, so that is still a strong current. I feel like this album is a is a great compliment to the first album. If you liked entertainment, you're definitely gonna like this. Um, I I don't know if I would say it's better. I I'd say it's on the same level for sure. And um, it just this is another album that in some ways is complex like out of shape is, but it's also an album that you can, I don't know. It, I, I find the gang of four, I can really get on their wavelength for some reason. Um, even though it is kind of atonal at times and um, jarring, but it's jarring in a way that really works for me. Um, so yeah, this is another big endorsement from me i'm i'm very impressed with this band after two albums 
Yeah, I um, I I liked this out. I didn't like it as much as entertainment. Let me mm-hmm. start with that. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting marriage because yeah, it, it you. The rhythm section stood out to me in the first album as well, don't get me wrong, but yeah. what they're doing here is yeah, definitely like um funk. Right. Like funk even even at time not all the way, but even a little bit of like what disco does at times, like just a roaring bass. And like I said, it is kind of like the um the talking heads in that the bass is prominent in songs, but uh, I know Josh said you didn't mention, I noticed the drums all over this. Now, it's not like thudding rock drums, right? It's more the drums, like dexterous drums that complement the bass, which you don't hear very often, where the bass takes the lead and the drums goes away. That's, I think, what made it similar to the talking heads for me. Like, normally, the, the... if the rhythm section's strong, I think the who, right? You hear both yeah, of them together like John, pounding yeah, like away. John Bonham or something like that. Right. And, and that, it's the drums yeah. up front and then the bass right. kind of weaving around it. This, it's the bass is up front and the drums are kind of playing to it. Almost like, um, yeah, the only place, like I said, yeah, the two big areas are like jazz goes yeah. like that sometimes, like a, a walking, when you have a walking bass line or something in there. Now, there's not a lot of walking bass lines in this album, but the bass is there or funk. They're the mm-hmm. two areas where, where that happens. So the rhythm section is big there. There's um, there's a, a darting guitar on yes. this um, that's fran- at times frantic, you know, playing in the background. Um, and uh, I, the thing that kind of always I, I do appreciate the um, the political lyrics of yep. the Gang of Four. They're very interesting uh, to listen to and at times funny as well yes uh, and they're also say. sort of cynical without being so cynical that it overwhelms the general message of it like it, it doesn't um it doesn't beat you over the head i'd say it's no. more just yeah. observational yeah it's a very um they walk a really fine line in terms mm-hmm. of kind of like serving up like don't you guys almost like incredulous like don't you guys see this yep. happening all around you or something to that effect without without being you know proselytizing Right. I am um, uh, something that holds me back a little bit with Gang of Four is the lyricism is a little bit um, uh, uh, monotone, I'd say, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I don't know if it um, I think I'd like that both albums, but especially this one, it stood out in more because it didn't it wasn't um, I wouldn't say it's a net negative in either of them, but it wasn't for me a little bit of the liability that was on this album on entertainment. And this one, I did get a little bit of uh the vibe where there's not enough variation Hmm. in in the voice i'd say um and it's a really fine line when you sort of sing monotone whether you're ian curtis of joy division or um you know later you know the new order guys you know doing that or depeche mode or anybody who sort of goes monotone for a long period of time um it it can kind of wear on you a little bit and I, i did a little bit wear on me in this album. Um, I, I found this to be a pretty dark album, to be quite honest. Um, it, uh, it isn't so much darker lyrically. It just has a darker feel to it, uh, which is odd to say about a funk album. Yeah. Because, you know, you think, you know, when you add funk to it, right? It's like, kind of like how David Bowie, Station to Station, it kind of masked, the funk sound kind of masked, like, I'm coming apart at all, right. all ends of it a little bit. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that here as well where um if you're not careful you can be lulled into following the rhythm section and not realize that there's there's like a, a weightiness and a darkness to to the album but uh i still liked it 
And I'm, I'm, I, I like it as a, as a complimentary piece to entertainment. Um, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is kind of so in the groove at the time. Like you could be like kind of moving back and forth to it and not realize <laughs> what's, what they're saying or like, or like be almost like in a trance with the vocal delivery. I hear what you're saying about the, the, the lead singers vocals, but it gets a little samey. Even yeah. some of the guitar parts are a little samey at times, mm-hmm. um, even though they're weaving in and they weave kind of the same ways. And I, and maybe it's because I listen to the variation of the Elvis Costello album or, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to do the B-52s later and certainly the Raincoats and they kind of have a palette that's all over the place a little yeah. bit. And maybe it suffered less because of what it was and more in terms of the company it was in. But um, I, I think that would be my one criticism that yep. at times... Um, the ver- I would have liked a little bit more variation in terms of the overall sound. Yep. Like no, the I, I think that's yeah. fair. I think that's mm-hmm. fair. But um, yeah, still so- solid record for me. Um, what is it about the Gang of Four that you think speaks to you so much, Josh? Because you've been pretty effusive with your praise and both albums. Yeah, that's what it's. It's kind of not always well. One of my favorite bands is Spoon. So I, I started hearing. I don't know if you know them, but they kind of remind me of this they have some kind of noise rock elements to them but they also kind of have atonal guitars at times as well um but it's something about their guitar their kind of off-kilter guitar playing combined with their lyrics that that don't always um that you don't always pick up on after the first listen. I feel like there's some depth here and there is a refreshing, I don't know. There's a punk spirit to them that I really, that I really appreciate as well. Um, and, the, and, and, you know, with all the other artists that we've listened to in this time, they, they stand out for me as sounding different than a lot of other bands. Gotcha. So they kind of have elements of the punk you like, but coming from a vantage point that you think is different than the peers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to, uh, you know, preview our next episode, but they are kind of in line with the Dead Kennedys on that end of the spectrum a little bit in terms of lyrical. In some ways. Yes, yes. Not like musically necessarily, but but um, in terms of the message they're trying to get across maybe. Yeah. I think one's like, can you believe this? And the other is like, can you believe this? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah. Over that with yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, uh, well, but we'll save that for things. So yeah, I, um, I like this one. Um, I would start with entertainment though. First, I for feel sure. that, um, you know, and, and once again, this would be another one to kind of travel the road. I'd be really fascinated to see where they evolve to or, or how they evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I totally get, I think, this band is, I could totally get why somebody would be off, uh, you know, feel off, put, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, be off, the, they'd be off-putting to someone? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, because the, their sound is, you know, abrasive or jarring at times. And, and sometimes that's enough right away for people to, you know, not respond think, to it. I think the fact that this is so firmly in the post-punk uh, mm-hmm. realm of things and i think it's very interesting to me that you didn't respond to joy division um but you respond to gang of four so much because in some ways they're kind of traveling some of the same paths yeah yeah um 
well, I don't, I don't want to preview what, my thoughts wire, on that album. Well, too. right, well, well and wire, wire is yes. another band that's in that, yeah, that space. I feel like, and, and wire, I would say, I liked a lot more um, th- than Joy Division, and would kind of equate, you know, lump them in with Gang of Four. Well, and I, I did not just wire Pink Flag. I did right. Chairs yeah. Missing and mm-hmm. uh, Two Thirteen as well, and so I got to kind of see, and and they're all very different, and yeah, some of what's happening here. Um, with this album is some of the same stuff that, that Wire's doing later Yeah. Um, on their album. So those would be ones, if you ever get extra time, Josh, yep. I would uh, have you search those out because they were interesting listens. Nice. Yeah, All so right. the, whatever this po- post-punk, you know, s- slice of the the Venn diagram that they're in. Well, is, gosh, uh, we've been living in a post-punk world for the last like seven episodes. So yeah, and we're going to be there for, we're going to be there for quite a while in the eighties too, because post post-punk uh, doesn't exactly end anytime soon. So we'll get the, we'll get the whole kaleidoscope of post-punk. Yep. So, and then I'll be able to look at those flashcards I have of oh, post-punk yeah. bands that are, that are two lovely. I'll take a picture of them, put it up on Twitter, but two lovely, uh, um, pieces of wall art uh in my place and uh we'll see how many of the uh, artists featured on that are oh, yeah. uh, covered by us so quite a few actually we've done so nice and with that we are going to do our last album of the night which is the b52s josh not only am i gonna allow you to run the numbers but i'm also gonna allow you to pick the opening song not allow you. I'm going to ask you to pick the opening. So <laughs> yes. how about that? Yeah. You don't need to uh, ask permission. The B-52's Wild Planet from 1980. It is the 47th best album of 1980. The 360th album of the 80s itself as a decade. The 2,313th album of all time. And it is their third best album, um, according to Best Ever Albums, out of 15 with uh, their self-titled Behind. being and cosmic first, thing and cosmic thing being two and this one being yeah. three gotcha cosmic things later uh, 89 yeah right yeah yep. so i remember yep so and, josh what are you picking and, yes uh my favorite track is um pri- my own private idaho good, private good choice Okay, and well, I was high on the B-52's opening uh, debut album, and I'm high on this album as well. Maybe slightly less than the opening album, but still strong debut. They, they're really growing on me as a band as well. That's kind of been the theme of this week's episode for me since we're covering all these artists that, uh, that we've covered before, but they still maintain their uh, sense of humor and energy in this album. Um, their lyrics are hilarious at times. Their songs are hilarious at times, especially uh, their opening track, Party Out of Bounds, which is a cautionary tale about throwing a bad party. Um, <laughs> yes, and, it uh, is. <laughs> and then going on to, you know, other 
other things like having a literal devil in your car um in devil <laughs> in my car and quiche lorraine which is a hilarious song about a dog and they're just um which you would not expect from a, for a song <laughs> no. called quiche lorraine no but uh i really enjoyed the stories that they tell and their delivery um vocally i feel like um Kate Pearson and Cindy Wilson are, are real um, standouts for me um, in the band. I love their their vocals and their singing and how it often overlaps with each other and complements each other. They they had they both have you know very distinct voices, so they don't ever sound like one another. Or you can always tell <laughs> who's who. Well, and so does Fred Schneider. So yes. between all three of them, yeah. Yes. And, and distinctive is, is the key word. Definitely. That is the third kind of component to their trifecta of vocals is that they're all playing off of each other and it works really well. And, you know, all the songs that you know from their big hits exemplify that. And um, this album is no exception. I feel like they're still, um, they still have their, really good um, bass and guitar lines throughout this album. Um, they often start with kind of a, a guitar lick or guitar groove or bass groove to start a song, and then it goes right into to the vocals. Um, the drums are also st- strong on here on some like, well, Private Idaho is kind of, I think an example of all of this stuff that I'm talking about, they, they, the chorus is like bonkers good. They, um, they kind of have this keyboard part that leads into the chorus. Well, that's uh, the Twilight Zone music. It's almost like it, but yeah, yeah, it is that. And then it comes in with their vocals, um, overlapping on the chorus and then the drums kick in as well. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of more, not more of the same, but more of like, if you really liked the debut album, you're really going to like this album. And um, they're just probably, you know, a little stronger in their, or confident in their musical ability. And I think that comes through and they have a good, they, they know who they are and they know what type of music they're trying to make. And, and I get that. I think that comes through on their album there. They are like no other band really in some aspects. So yeah, another, another big enjoyable album for me. Yeah. I think the most fascinating thing about the B 52s, besides the fact that they're another one of these bands that had like two careers, you know, they had the mm-hmm. beginning one. And then as we, we had talked about in the last episode, tragically, Ricky Wilson, the guy who's doing the guitar parts here that are, almost impossible to not associate with these two albums, right? Like his groove guitar, um, he passes away in the mid eighties. Right. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, they released cosmic thing, this other huge album, you know, without that, uh, just imagine excising like kind of the heart of the band musically, Mm -hmm. you know, and then being able to sort of reinvent yourself. And some of that is because like you mentioned, the three unique vocalists is its own. I think the other thing is, it's just fascinating to think like how does a band have this vibe yes. in the late 70s and the, like where does it come from that this sort of like you know sort of retro 
but like uh, trash retro almost. Yes. Kind of like what Andy Warhol, you know, kind of like the, the idea of like the or, or, uh, or like John like, Waters. I, John Waters yes. is a good exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going for. John Waters is the greatest. Like trash retro a little bit. Obviously, you know, I think all but one member of the band are members of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a and you can kind of get that vibe at times because they yes. they wink and nod a lot at different times with stuff. But um, yeah, they are campy in a in a certain way and very tongue like self self aware. You kind of just wonder like how did all these people find each other and have yeah. this unique from, a, from Georgia, <laughs> this unique sort of worldview? I think you know it's yeah. it's almost like something that it seems like like one person should have right, but mm-hmm. instead there's this group of people and just I really appreciate the fact that like at times they come from these batshit crazy angles where you're just like. Where where did you get the idea, like of this song and the the, the yes. topic of you know whether it's you know on the first album like you know rock lobster like where's that co- and then this you know uh whether it be yeah uh, fifty three miles west of Venus or you know just and uh, like like Josh mentioned like Keith Lorraine's about a dog like strobe light is this very in- interesting sex. song about <laughs> sex but it's yeah. like sex at both a gross way but also like a very like like um te- like it's it's like at some points it's like gross and at other points it's like sort of like oh you know what i mean and it's like i don't know how to describe it kind of it's like i yeah. want to like you know gnaw your face off under the strobe light but also because <laughs> you know i want some romance you know it's yeah it's just i i love the odd angles they come from and i yes. i love um you guys always use and i i laugh at you guys sometimes you guys use the term dance danceability all the yeah. time but uh-huh. but this is like the guitar parts that ricky wilson's play he's like in the pocket or in a groove you know of mm-hmm. sound that always is established it almost is like they lay down the his guitar parts like you lay down the beat in a hip-hop track and then once you get that it's like all right the mcs are kind of like you know, the women and Fred Schneider, right? You know, whether it be, yep. Cin- you know, Cindy Wilson or Kate Pearson or Fred Schneider, like, which MC is going to go on this? And, or is it going to be like a collaborative piece? And then, you know, then they, they spit the lyrics, so to speak. But in this case, it's sort of, you know, spoken word mixed with like high singing, mixed with almost like girl group level harmonies at different times. Uh, and y- they kind of always keep you on your toes a little bit which I greatly appreciate. I, I found songs like Give Me Back My Man to be really funny as well mm-hmm. um, because it it's like a traditional, like, Give Me Back My Man, but also there's all kinds of hidden subtext in it as well, yep. <laughs> which uh, which cracks, which is, you know, a little bit of that LGBT, you know, Q, um, you know, vibe sort of hidden in there. But yeah, I really, um, I really enjoyed this up. I, I think... There, to me, these are almost it's almost like a double album to some degree, and you can mm-hmm. tell the songs are written at the same time because there's enough overlap that um you know I did I did get curious and say were some of these songs written during the first album and some a lot were and they they toured kind of initially off of tracks from the debut and some of the stuff from this which makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense okay. because they do fit nicely um I I'll be a little controversial I actually might like this album a little bit more than I like the first one and I like the first one quite a bit oh, wow. um. I just, I really enjoyed the the guitar and the energy on this. It um, there was just a um, there it was this fascinating mix of the freewheeling spirit of the B fifty twos, but there was a real tightness to this album as well. Yeah. Um, as that 
sometimes in the first album it was just all freewheeling with a little bit less tightness. This one seemed like a, a band that was a, a little bit more um, well-rehearsed, I guess, would be the, the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is they're well-rehearsed still. The springs are coming off all over, which is kind of the best thing when you can – you know, be well rehearsed, but also go, all right, now we're going to like open it up a little bit. Um, and, and so it's the best of both worlds, but yeah, I really liked this album and I, I really appreciate the B 52s, uh, because like Josh said there, you know, it's, it's over, it's over said to say like, no one's like this, but like, can you think of anybody, you know, like we said, John Waters is really the only paradigm I can think of. And he's a filmmaker, you know, like in terms of bands i, I can't um, even think of any bands that have tried to like rip off their sound like d light you know groove is in the heart you know yeah. is the only thing i can think of like that's the only band i can think of that kind of had that vibe you know like a retro so maybe maybe i'd say that like d light you know the groove right. is in the heart folks that that's about it though um yeah, yeah. there's just a real I, I think the word that comes to mind for them is vibrancy there's such a like an energy and like fun sense of just life that that comes through in their music and the fact that they are right about these like wacky things like i mean back on the first album they talked about like a volcano being basically a metaphor for for sex and like that's i don't know quiche lorraine is just a hilarious name for a dog so i don't know i can't get over that um (laughs) well it's also i should mention that this is new wave by the way yeah like and and so like we've done some new wave and and maybe devo is another group that kind of is in that same vein in terms of how they take odd angles from different spots and they're another new wave band um and yeah, there's that new wave energy that we're starting to see a little bit with them and Blondie and Devo and, you know, new wave is kind of one of those hard music terms because like, what is new wave? Well, it's a lot of things, but yep. this, this album sounds like what I imagine like a new wave album is like pushing, pushing interesting boundaries topic wise, you know, um, kind of all over the place off kilter a little bit um yeah and so like i i would classify this as a new wave album too um i i I thought i'd throw that out there yeah definitely and and uh you know i don't know still you know devo and b52s may be new wave but i think devo does kind of have a different feeling than this band does they're they're more cerebral in some ways and maybe i think you called them mathematic or math rock at times Um, well it's them a little bit it's i call anything math rock that feels like it's um constructed you know what i mean like i guess what you're calling cerebral is what i call math rock sometimes yeah yeah there's just a different uh attitude i think between those two bands even though they're both new wave i think there for me there's a little bit more um not a, a, a ton, right? But there's more concentric circle um, mm. than than you might be here for me personally yeah. in terms no, of yeah, I think that's on, true. yeah, and especially I think as we discover more new wave bands or listen to ones that we've heard, um, yeah, we'll probably see more of those similarities. But yeah, for those that are, you know, this is an easy one to describe. It's as hard as that Raincoats album was to describe sonically. This one's easy, like groovy guitars that are I, what I would call in the pocket a little mm-hmm. bit with with the drums. That's the pocket, right? That you know, rhythmic guitar with the drums. 
mm-hmm. and then the the other part of the sound is the vocals like just that's it's it serves its own instrument um instruments plural because of how they deliver stuff from songstress to you know lower female voices to harmonies as i mentioned before to spoken word to um you know exclamations you know from all of them it's um it creates its own sonic structure and it fits very well in terms of you know what topic they're trying to get across whether it go from the absurd to i would never say they're serious at least that we've heard yet and i am pretty familiar with cosmic thing and they don't get much more serious there um but yeah um it, it it's yeah it's a it's a lot of fun and i would highly recommend this one i like this quite a bit same. I'm right there with you. Do you have a, um, which of these four albums is your favorite? Probably the Elvis Costello one. From this week, I would say it's probably barely Elvis Costello, a little bit over Wild Planet. Yeah. That would be my one and two for sure. Yeah. And then I think I'd go with the Raincoats three and Gang of Four four, but I actually liked all four of these albums. So yeah. I would go four recommends, which there's not too many episodes where I've gone a, rec- a, a comfortable recommend on every album especially, and this one's yeah, especially in a cold listen episode um right well sure. none of them are borderline either like each of them are comfortably in the recommend category for me yeah now will any of them end up in like a top 10 list for the 80s i don't know if it's going to get that far but you know that that elvis costello album this b52's album are certainly going to be ones that i could see myself hearkening back to and they they also as i mentioned before the greatest gift i can give a album since we listen to so many albums and i'm even trying to listen to some modern music too is um re-listenability like i that i i I will absolutely search it out and recommend it and and um all of these albums have re-listenability but especially um wild planet and um uh uh the elvis costello album get happy i will listen to again and i do think i'm going to give that raincoats album another listen as well because i think there's more to explore on that um as well so. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Four, four um, recommends for me as well this week. I would say Gang of Four is my number one. B-52s is two, Elvis Costello, and then Raincoats. But, gotcha. I mean, just because their Raincoats are the fourth doesn't mean they're, like, bad. It's just... Well, and same with me with Gang of Four. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So I'll be interested to hear what Matt's take is. I think he might have been a contrary voice on a couple of these. Um, yeah. So you want to guess? What do you think? I, I'm going to say that Matt is going to... Uh, like the B-52's album. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a similar take at, to the Gang of Four album as yes. I did. Yep. Similar Raincoats? take basically to what he had on the first their first album, I think. Yeah. Ray, uh, no, I think he's going to see the nuances like I did, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, Elvis Costello album, I don't know. I think he might hear it like you, that he doesn't like it as much as the first two. Yep. And then and Raincoats, I don't think he'll like. I think he'll like it. Okay. So we'll okay, see. so we'll we'll see. Well, am I? So yeah. put some money down on that. Put some money down. A f- uh, what is it? Trading places. A one dollar bill exchanged <laughs> yeah. in the bathroom. So, all right. Well, we don't even need to billboard next week because you know what's coming. Because we talked about it at the beginning of the show. So, and if you made it this long, you probably listened to the whole thing. Hopefully, mm-hmm. so uh, we'll be back to full bio episode next week. Uh, it was always the plan to go there. Matt, hopefully, will be nice and rested since we're doing the legwork this week. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll. We'll allow him to maybe plan a segment one of these weeks. What do you think, Josh? 
that will be uh yeah we'll see see how well that comes together <laughs> <laughs> we'll see well anyway for just josh not josh about just josh this week this is john wishing you a great rest of the week and uh, see you next week for technically episode three of the season bye combing the stacks can be found on 13 different platforms viewer feedback can be sent to combing the stacks at gmail.com you can follow us on Twitter at Combing The and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.